This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and it is my pleasure to be joined today by Arch Asawa, Vice President for Finance and Administration, CFO, and Chief Investment Officer at Soka University of America. Welcome, Arch. Uh, Good morning, Megan. Thank you. I wonder if you could start off today by just sharing the story of how you landed in higher education. I know you have a little bit of a diverse background. That's actually quite interesting. I, I really wasn't even thinking about higher education. Uh, but then I got recruited by the president of Silk University. He had been a friend of me, uh, my family, since, oh gosh, over 30 years. And he knew of my background and expertise in management and organizational processes and structures. And he was in the process of developing and building a brand new university, Silk University. And this is in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got my introduction into higher education. Wow. So what were you doing before that? Talk a little bit about your background, your professional background. Oh, sure. I, I worked as a management consultant after graduating from college and had originally did that with a uh, management consulting firm in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1990s, I was actually pursuing a, a graduate degree. And then one of the professors at uh, the graduate program ended up recruiting me to also do consulting with him. So I basically did consulting work for about 12 years prior to joining the university. And what types of clients did you have? Like what industries were you touching? Oh, goodness. It was from Fortune 500 corporations to uh, public sector agencies. I did a stint with the mayor of Los Angeles in the mayor's office for a while, um, basically looking at how to really make organizations operate most effectively and efficiently. So coming to Soko University as a brand new institution, talk a little bit about that and, and what that was like ramping up and some of the challenges you might have run into. You know, it's it's it is like any other startup. There are so many things that you don't know that you are supposed to know, and <laughs> oftentimes you're you're making things up as you go. But in the end, what really bonded all of us is that we all had a shared mission about. We wanted to create the best possible liberal arts experience, and the president said, "I always want to focus on quality. I want this to be a really great academic, excellent uh, product in terms of being able to create." students that have a sense of mission of wanting to make a difference in society. So whatever challenges we may have had, I think we're always bonded by that mission. But we had to do everything from scratch because it is a de novo campus. We actually uh, built a brand new uh, a brand new campus site on 100 acres and, and uh, had to hire faculty, had to hire staff, and then developed the curriculum. So it was pretty much a, a, a ground-up operation. And then what resources did you turn to originally as you were – ramping up an entire university and then trying to get your feet underneath you in that, I guess, what it would be a new industry for you, higher education. Mm -hmm. What resources did you turn to and do you still turn to for information and knowledge and um, just keeping yourself up to date on, on trends and what's happening? 
you know, coming in from the private sector, I knew nothing about higher education. So one of the first things I, I thought is I, I've got to get smart fast. So I looked to the different associations out there and I saw Nakubo and Wakubo, uh, the Western Association, the regional conference coming up just, I think, in the first couple months after I joined. So I attended the uh, Wakubo annual meeting conference and I immediately felt at home. I thought, this, th- these are my brothers and sisters in higher education. <laughs> and I connected on, on so many levels and it just felt so reassuring that I had uh, these friends that I could call upon if I had any challenges, any questions, you know, how did you do this? How do you set up this? Um, how do you deal with this specific, specific issue? And I just found that so comforting uh, to be able to turn to both Nakubo and Wakubo for those resources. That's great. And then anything that you still do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to kind of keep apprised of what's happening in the sector or even outside the sector? Well, I think like everybody else, I, I you know we get all the daily blogs from the Chronicle and University Business and all the other things that keep us attuned to what's happening on a daily basis. But I think out of really my sense of appreciation to associations like Wakuba and Nakuba, I, I also made a commitment to serve. Um, so early on when I was asked to participate at Nakubo and the Small Institutions Council as well as the Awards Committee, uh, I definitely uh, thought this is a great way to, to give back to uh, the association. And then I currently serve on the board for the Western Association for College and University Business Officers. So that also keeps me very much grounded and in tune about what's happening right now in higher education. You're right in the thick of it all then. Mm-hmm. That's great. So uh, can you do a little bit of a, a look back over your time at Soka University and maybe share a couple of moments of particular pride? There are key moments that, that really stick in my head in that I do remember the first, this is the first commencement ceremony, and it's kind of hard for folks within higher ed to even think about a first commencement, right. but, but uh, this was in 2005, and we held the first undergraduate commencement ceremony, and then it really struck me how real what we're doing. You know, before it was just all on paper, or it was just we talked about the classes, we talked about the buildings, but this was, it made it so real to see these graduates walking. And I feel like, you know, that really is our product and our mission is we're here to nurture the future leaders for society, to really build the the, the foundation for the leaders that are going to make a difference and work toward peace or whatever. And that's when it really struck me, wow, this this is really something special. And I, I think that's the reason why I've, I've stuck within our education. I'm going on my 18th year and I've never, ever had a day where I thought, wow, I, I really don't want to go to work today. I mean, every day it's a joy for me to go. Talk a little bit about how your role is different now than it was starting out. Like, I, I would assume it's different. You're, I guess, in university terms, you're still mm-hmm. a startup, but that's right. Um, but I would imagine that your role has changed over the years. So, talk a little bit about that. Certainly, I, I would say that for the first ten years, it was really laying the foundation. So, as as I mentioned before, a lot of the things were not ever done or created. So we had to create policies. We had to create new curriculum. We had to create new programs. We had to construct new buildings. So I would say that we've been spending the first 10 years just sort of laying out that that uh, foundation and all those things. And then from there, it's not that we're sort of standing still. We, we continually have to evolve, look to see where we can continue to improve. And as a result, I think it, it's, it's sort of shifting because it's not so much policy-based, but also more construction of, you know, where are our next steps going to be in terms of the development of the university? So, for example, um, one of the things that we did after that first commencement ceremony is we, we had to construct a new uh, 
Performing Arts Center, uh, which was a really wonderful experience. And then we're right now in the process of development for a new state-of-the-art science building. And these are all things that we are now realized, okay, these are some things that we need to add to our resources to really provide a well-rounded education for our students. Well, you, you, ha- you have a unique opportunity or you've had a unique opportunity to create everything from scratch. And obviously, that's a huge challenge as well. But what what sorts of resources or examples did you turn to as you were putting policies in place and putting building programs in place? Who, who did you turn to for inspiration when you were doing all of that? Oh, I think that uh, like everybody else, you you have to find the the best minds and the and the best folks that have the right advice. So just understanding, you know, what's what's a typical cost structure for operating this type of building? What would be the right type of assets or classrooms or whatever? So we essentially tried to find people that brought those expertise, and you know, naturally we looked to folks like. Uh, at Nakubo and also at the other associations, planning associations, APA, you know, all different resources to really make sure that we weren't trying to recreate the wheel. We're uh, tapping uh, the experience of, you know, hundreds of years of folks that really understand what we do. So you've been a CBO for 18 years, I believe you just said. That's correct. In your tenure over that time, can you think of a moment maybe just in the world in general, in the, in the environment that we're living in today, that really changed what it means to be a CBO for yourself and maybe others? Well, that's a very interesting question. I, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, when we opened our doors in 2001, it was August. And yeah, as you know, when, when 9-11 happened, that I think brought a sense of immediacy in terms of what our mission was as an institution. You know, one of our missions is really to foster future leaders toward peace. And I think that collectively brought us all together as a campus community, students, faculty, staff, to understand that this isn't just a mere exercise. We're here with a much higher purpose in mind. And I think that galvanized us and really, really gave us the fortitude to move forward and really work through any of issues that we may have had as, you know, with regard to growing pains, et cetera. And I think that quickly brought us to where we are today. And I think the other part that really was a critical moment was when the financial crisis hit in 19, I'm sorry, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really brought the the economic reality of what we do, you know, fully upon us. You know, we're a fairly small institution. We have less than 500 students, but we've been fortunate to have an endowment that supports the majority of our operating expenses. But when that happened, you know, we obviously had to scale back, not in terms of our programming, but we had to really tighten our belts and make sure that we could live within our means. And what was really wonderful is that that sense of mission that we have as a community, we all understood Okay, we if we have to, you know, cut back here or there, we will. But one of the things the president said is, I don't want to ever, ever sacrifice the quality of life or the quality of the education for our students. So we made cuts wherever we can, but we did not try to impact those areas. Um, so I think those two uh, were critical moments. I think in the university, and obviously, uh, the economy has done better, and we've uh, been able to overcome that particular time in terms of our uh, finances. And I think that as a result, we were stronger from that. What are you doing in your job today that you never imagined you would be doing when you started this venture? (laughs) Gee, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, My goodness. Well, 
you know, one of those titles that I've got is the chief investment officer. If you would have told me that I'd be responsible for managing over $1.2 billion of assets for investment, I, <laughs> I don't think I would have been in my, my expectation <laughs> set whatsoever. Um, that, was un- that was something I didn't anticipate. And also having the opportunity to, to build. Um, I, I thought that was more in the you know, 20, 30-year time frame. But we knew uh, after that first commencement ceremony, there were certain types of assets with regard to buildings, capital, that we wanted to have right away. So the Performing Arts Center was one, and now we're, we're recognizing the need to, to add a science building. So that also has been really fun uh, to be able to not just administer, but also be part of something and build something new. Because again, since you are sort of a new venture, like I like calling you that. It sounds it's, it sounds so <laughs> exciting. Um, can you think of can you think back to a challenge that you had to overcome and maybe share how you how you tackled it? Probably personally, the challenge that I had to really begin to understand is the the landscape of higher education on a college campus. You know, coming in from the private sector, you have certain expectations of how you manage organizations. But I really didn't understand fully the complexity of a of a university setting, with regard to you know you have you have administration, you have faculty, and what I've really come to realize over time is that you know I, I always came in with the view that you know everybody's equal, we should treat one another you know with respect and et cetera, but. I found that not everybody shares those views within a higher education setting, and they have predispositions about how they view administration, how they view faculty, and and just really understanding that dynamic and not playing into that per se, but really trying to break through that was, I think, the biggest challenge. Because for me, I, I mean, I love our faculty. I think they're they're tremendous, and they're the ones on, on the you know the front lines with our students to really help them develop and grow. And I didn't want to fall into that same trap of of seeing them as something different, but really understanding that they, everybody has a different worldview and being able to come to a way to engage and really show that we are all in this together was, I think, the transformative challenge for me. Um, I'm not sure if it translates well to others, but I know coming in from the private sector, that was probably the biggest adjustment that I had to make. How, how do you foster that environment of teamwork and mutual trust and respect within your own staff? Oh, that's easy. It just comes down to fundamental respect. Uh, you know, in my view, you're only as good as the people that are with you, that are part of your team. And to, to be able to listen to them, to, to really engage them and to really nurture them, to become capable people, that is so important. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the type of, you know, basically we're, we're in a service industry. We, we, we provide services to our students. And if our staff are not happy, that's going to reflect in the way how they take care of our students. So first and foremost, uh, I told the president, I said, we have to make sure that we take care and really respect every single staff member. I don't care if they're a director or a manager, a janitor, landscaper, they all matter to the life of the student and they all are so important and have to treat each person with respect. What, what do you see in people that you try to work with to move along the, their professional path? I would say I like people that have an insatiable desire to continue to learn, to develop themselves, that always are striving to really develop their capabilities um, because that shows to me that they really want to expand and they really want to to contribute. So I, I look for that first. And obviously the energy, the, the not just the, the physical energy, but the mental energy, this capacity of wanting to take on more, uh, that, that shows a lot to me. And I think that is, those are the type of individuals that I really enjoy working with. And then who has served as a professional mentor to you as you've 
come up as a CBO over the past 18 years? I, I wouldn't want to name them by name, but I would say <laughs> that I really have been inspired by my colleagues uh, in higher education, the other CBOs at the institutions that I've interacted with over the years. I am truly inspired by their sense of mission, their commitment, their brilliance, and really they're, they're just really good people. Uh, and I found the more I have had a chance to interact with them, the more I get inspired by them. So I would say that I'm, I'm inspired by my colleagues and what they've been able to accomplish over the years. Can you share a specific lesson that maybe you've learned from somebody and you don't have to name names that <laughs> really helped you in your career, maybe early on, maybe yesterday? I think the reality of understanding that you can always learn from anybody, that that you should never be dismissive of others because th- you can always gain some information or knowledge from them. And seeing how they are able to really nurture their staff and adjust how they work with each individual. Because in, in, in many ways, you know, you have to find what is the best way to motivate your staff. And it doesn't always, it isn't always the same approach with everybody. So being able to to see that in real life and see how, they're able to really build their team over time, I think, is the part that I really try to make sure that I, I try to do with my staff as well. Well, and to that point, you, you've talked a little bit about uh, you taking leadership in Wakubo. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that you've supported others as a mentor or try to be a role model to others? I think that, you know, having an opportunity to work in uh, Nakuba and Wakubo, you, clearly that there's so much opportunity for mentoring. There's so much opportunity to really, to really build networks. And I think that being there and whether it's directly contributing to program development within the association or just talking to peers and helping them in terms of their, their career developments, helping them see where they may want to go next, how to nurture those areas where they have gaps in their capabilities – you know, you just interact with them directly or, you know, through the programs that, that we've been able to develop. Uh, I've been on the program committee for Wakuba, I think, through four annual meetings now. And I'm serving as chair for the, the Seattle uh, annual meeting. And, and I, you know, being able to talk directly with the folks that are there gives me a good insight in terms of what kind of programs we would like to definitely develop for these uh, conferences. What would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs, regardless of the size of their institution and where they are and extenuating circumstance? What, what, what is it that you think that pretty much all CBOs grapple with? You know, I think the biggest challenge that we all face as CBOs is really helping support our president to articulate the true value of higher education. You know, from my perspective, I see higher education being under attack, whether it's in the halls of Congress or on the minds of many parents that wonder, what is the value? You know, what is the return on investment? You know, they see the cost and they may not understand that, you know, it may be heavily discounted or that, uh, you know, we provide, you know, a lot by way of financial aid. So, but they may not understand the true value that they get out of education. And that's where we really need to give our presidents and our boards the ability to really articulate that succinctly and clearly so that higher education can really forestall the the attacks that are coming on them, which are truly unwarranted. 
And is that something that you try to do with your president? Oh, absolutely. You know, he, he understands, you know, what our net costs are and uh, the type of support that we provide our students. So he, he knows that, you know, we, we, we do contribute a lot toward their financial aid. But more importantly, I think that we have to also be able to show, you know, what is their success after graduation? What are they doing? What type of jobs are they getting? How successful are they getting into graduate school? Are they in PhD programs? And we have to give them the data so that he can really show the full picture uh, of what our alumni have been able to accomplish. Anything else you'd like to share today, Arch, that I've neglected to ask? At the end of the day, you know, when I think about what the role of a chief business officer, you know, obviously, you know, when I think about my job description, number one, it's really to support the president. And I think I've gotten my greatest satisfaction out of really being able to bring to fruition, you know, the president and the university's founder's vision for what, you know, this education is about. And it really stems from really creating and fostering an organization where people matter. And, you know, being a good listener, being open to new ideas and really creating a sense of family, I think, helps bond the organization so that, you know, in good times and in bad, you've got their back, they got your back. And as a result, you were able to really achieve a lot. So it isn't just about the numbers. For me, it's really about people. And at the end of the day, people matter the most. Well, thank you so much, Arch, for your time today and for sharing just a snapshot of your career with us. It's been great to get a glimpse into your professional track. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. You can find out more about Arch and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and iTunes so you get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Arch and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. 